Welcome back to the Cross Before the Crown podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Clark, and we just finished week three of our study on the practical theology of C.S. Lewis. Last week, we took a look at The Weight of Glory, which was this magnificent sermon that Lewis delivered at the height of the Blitz in 1941. This week, we're looking at a text which Lewis delivered from the same pulpit in Oxford only two years before. He called this one Learning in Wartime. Uh, Lewis gave the sermon in October 1939. It was three weeks after Nazis had begun annexing central Poland, and only a month after Britain had declared war against Germany. Uh, if you'll kind of forgive a crude analogy between the Second World War and the current crisis we're living through, the weight of glory was given at a moment roughly where we are today with the pandemic. We're a couple of years in. We're still wrestling with the meaning of the trauma we're experiencing, but we're nowhere near as frozen in fear and panic as we were in, say, April of 2020, which, according to my analogy, is kind of where the British people were in 1939 when Lewis delivered this sermon. And indeed, I think it offers us today much-needed wisdom about the nature and meaning of death. And in fact, that's what we'll be talking about in our study this week. So, you know, cheery stuff, huh? Anyway, but in today's podcast, I'd like to address the other topic of Lewis's sermon, which is also currently in crisis, that being education. So in 2008, I attended an academic conference in the Pacific Northwest to give a paper I had written about uh, George Bernard Shaw. Maybe you've seen portrayals of these kinds of gatherings in movies or TV shows. Uh, I certainly had an image in my mind of what an academic conference would be like. And while there are indeed plenty of guys wearing tweed jackets with, you know, the elbow patches and stuff at these sort of things, in most other ways, my assumptions were proven dead wrong. I originally envisioned a crowd of 30 or 40 seasoned scholars from across the country just seated waiting to hear my work. And, you know, I expected them to ask some hard questions. Maybe I also you know, kind of expected them to invite me to do a keynote address at the next conference. But anyway, that's not what I found. Typically, at least in my field, an academic conference, you're lucky to get more than 10 folks into the room for your talk. And most of them already know the panelists, who are, by and large, PhD students, giving a portion of their dissertation and maybe also hoping to impress someone enough to land a gig in this rapidly dwindling job market. Well, on this particular occasion, I was neither a PhD student, nor was I on the market. But I was looking for something, I suppose. Validation. And maybe I was also hoping to find a friend or two. I found neither. In fact, uh, for those of you who grew up listening to Christian music, I'll say this was my roaming through the night trying to find my place in this world phase of my career. We've all been there. Imagine me sitting nervously at a table next to three other panelists and in front of, you know, seven or eight other folks, and everyone in the room seemed to know each other. And except for my mentor professor, who thankfully was there for moral support, I didn't know any of them. And of course, I was slated to go first. Now, I'll admit, this paper, it's not my best work. Heck, I had written half of it on the airplane, which I'm sure the academics listening to this podcast would never admit to doing, right? Anyway, since that conference, I haven't looked once at that paper. I've got it quarantined on my computer like a virus. But, but still, I read that paper at the conference with as much conviction and animation as I could muster on that day. And when I finished, 
to a smattering of applause, I turned to my fellow panelists and I began to listen to their decidedly more uh, theoretical and uh, abstruse papers. To be honest, I hadn't even heard of most of the texts they were talking about. But I nodded my head. Every once in a while, I raised a suspicious eyebrow, hoping to fool everyone who looked my way into thinking that I was able to follow along. But the more they talked, the more it dawned on me inside that I simply didn't belong there. But what I didn't know then is that everyone feels this way at a conference. There's even a name for it. It's called imposter syndrome, which is that alienation you feel when you believe that everyone is an expert on every topic, but you aren't even past the novice level on yours. It's an illusion. Everybody feels it. Those panelists were likely just as lost when I was reading my paper. But when the panel ended with a little Q&A session, the loneliness and the inadequacy I felt only grew heavier. The audience members asked these specific and thoughtful questions to the other panelists, and no one even looked my way until, well, finally, a younger guy in the front looked over at me, almost as if for pity's sake, you know, and he said, Huh, so you must be a good teacher. Nearly 15 years later, now that I'm more confident in my scholarship and in my craft, and I serve as the director of a teaching and learning center, I can look back on that comment and take it at face value. And you know that guy, he may have meant it that way, as a compliment, but in the moment, what I heard in my heart was, good luck being a part-time community college adjunct for the rest of your life, and that's what I was at the moment. And look, not that there's anything wrong with doing that. Actually, that's the whole point of this episode. But you know, in my field, as with many others, being identified primarily as a teacher is a rejection. It's like being cast into the realm of mediocre, second-rate scholars. So when he said that, I kind of shifted in my chair and smiled uncomfortably. And then for the rest of the trip, I stayed mainly to myself only finding comfort on the flight home reading, well, you guessed it, C.S. Lewis. Actually, Lewis had quite a bit to say about the perils of entering into professional life and attempting to win success and fame. In a couple of weeks, we'll read his wonderful meditation on the desire and the dangers to be in the inner rings of power and influence. But in the piece we're reading this week, Learning in Wartime, Lewis also talks about some of the questions that young professionals ask about vocation, career, and calling. After dispensing with the objection that intellectual and cultural activities are out of place during a war, and we might go so far as to add, during a pandemic too, he reminds us that Christianity doesn't exclude in any way any of the ordinary human activities, like having a career or eating a meal, and that whatever we are doing, we are to do to the glory of God. Educators and scholars can and should revel in the freedom to work which the Lord provides all of us under the aegis of his church. But then Lewis says something really interesting. He checks the vanity of those of us engaged in higher intellectual and academic activities. He rejects the idea that cultural activities are inherently, quote, spiritual and meritorious, as though scholars and poets were somehow more intrinsically pleasing to God than scavengers and bootblacks. He goes on to say, the work of a Beethoven and the work of a charwoman becomes spiritual on precisely the same condition, that of being offered to God, of being done humbly as to the Lord. As an educator and a scholar, I'm afraid that the attitude 
that somehow folks in my profession are indispensable, that they are superior to others, above reproach, I'm afraid this sadly endures. And it shows up in the way that academics sometimes treat people uh, who don't have PhDs or those who don't read books with footnotes like we do. It also comes through in the well-intentioned but ultimately too strident defenses of education which we hear from certain teachers and maybe their unions as well. As for Christian academics, it's particularly hypocritical to act as though one needs to attain a certain level of academic respectability or intellectual achievement to be considered worthy of our respect, since our Lord Jesus had neither on this earth. However, lest you think Lewis is on the side of those who have little regard for intellectual activities or for education today, he offers wise correction there as well. He says, look, if all the world were Christian, it might not matter if all the world were uneducated. But that's not the case. And since dangerous and ignorant ideas are out there, particularly about the past, and we'll address that in a future podcast, he says good philosophy, good ideas have to exist as a, as a way to defend uh, the reason and intellect. And not only that, we have to teach it. And of course, Lewis's own choice to work as a professor and a writer reveal his belief that the life of a scholar can be lived honorably. I doubt he would abide the anti-intellectualism that is pervasive in our politics and unfortunately in our evangelical culture today, even as he tempers the real and ultimate value of academic work. He says, it's not the only road to God, nor the safest road, but we find it to be a road, and it may be the appointed road for those whom God has given this ability and desire to pursue it. So I really appreciate Lewis's level-headedness here, and I wish as a young man I would have availed myself of his wisdom. Uh, when that guy at the conference panel said I was a good teacher, I should have listened to what God was telling me at that moment. I think God was saying to me, and maybe I wasn't ready to hear it yet, you are good at this, Clark. And though it may not lead to fame, at least the scholarly kind, teaching will in the long run offer you the chance to glorify God in the way he has designed for you to do it. Paraphrasing Paul, Lewis says that we are all members of one body, but differentiated members, or as Lewis uh, says, each with his own vocations. Over time, I have learned to accept and own my professional duties. Uh, Lewis memorably says, a mole must dig to the glory of God, and a cock must crow. Eventually, I learned that if someone tells you that you dig, or you crow, or you teach, well then the best response is to simply and humbly say, thanks. Thank you, not only to the one who compliments you, but to the one who made you. And you know, he doesn't make mistakes. Thanks for joining us today for the Cross Before the Crown podcast. Uh, this coming Wednesday, if winter weather doesn't prevent us from meeting, we'll be diving deeper into learning in wartime. And then join us next weekend for the fourth installment of this podcast, where I'll share some thoughts about Lewis's views on whether Christians ought to fight in wars. But let us pray in the meantime, as all Christians should this week, that God would shield us from such tribulations, particularly for our brothers and sisters on the Ukrainian border, who are caught up in the looming conflict there. In the meantime, may God give us all strength and bless his people with peace. God bless you.